0: So we're talking about prayer, and we're getting really, really practical uh, about prayer. We're talking about how to do it. We're talking about a strategy, a plan, so that our prayer life is more powerful, so that our prayer life is richer. And so we're talking about prayer journals. If you're going to put something on social media today, use the hashtag, the recipe for prayer. If you would like notes, sermon notes, or if you want to ask a question about the church, anything you need to communicate with us at the church and you want to use email, you can certainly contact us in other ways, phone, other ways, but if you want to ask a question or if there's something you don't get at our church or you need clarity on, use that, use that email address. And again, sermon notes, if you want the sermon notes, make sure that's the email address you use. Let's go really quickly. Over Vision Sunday Review, let's just follow along with uh, what we've got on our heart for 2016. We're going to learn to pray strategically. When it comes to serving, we're going to focus on the fact that we're serving him, not people. When you serve in this church, you, yeah, you're blessing me. You're blessing the other people around you. You're blessing your church, but primarily you are serving him. Amen, amen. Number three, we are outward focused. The Pharisees were inward-focused. Anything we want to be is not a Pharisee. Isn't that right? We want to be like Jesus. Jesus was outward-focused. We want to be outward-focused. Jesus was criticized for the people he hung around and the people he loved. I want to be loved for the same reason Jesus was loved, but I want to be criticized for the same reason Jesus was criticized. Are you all with me out there? Amen. Number four. Increased spirit of generosity simply means live your life with your hands open. Don't live your life with your hands clenched. When your hands are clenched, mine, 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 instead of open, then you know what? Not only can nothing flow out of your hand to bless others, but when your hands clench, God can't pour into your hand. Amen? So we want to live our lives not with clenched fists, but we want to live our lives with open hands. Number five. This year we're going to pray for miracles, we're going to expect miracles, because we know here, here at the bridge that the God we serve is a miracle God. He is a miracle working God. and Some of you really need God to do some miracles in your life this year. You know what? We're going to ask for them, we're going to believe for them, we're going to trust God for miracles this year. Who's with me out there? Y'all with me? Man, who, who needs a miracle? And it might not be you directly, but somebody you love, somebody you care about. Then we're going to pray for miracles this year. We're going to expect miracles this year. Number six, own it. Can I give you one little tiny illustration of own it? If you walk up on this property or you drive up on this property and you see something that's kind of messed up or broken or there's a piece of trash, whose job is it to pick that up? Whose job is it to take care of that? It is your job. We own it. So we don't go, that's not my job. I've never joined this church, I never stood up on the stage. See, you're not owning it when you got that attitude. Own it. Look around. What do we say here? Football, little football term. Head on. I'm looking around. I'm looking around because I'm committed to this church. How many of you know the longer you live in your house, the less you see that hole in the carpet? (laughs) Isn't it true? I mean, that hole in the carpet was a big deal to you until it was five years old. And then you were like, I don't even see it anymore. So what we have to do is see our campus. Listen, see people around us with fresh eyes every Sunday. Fresh eyes, you know, A great Sunday, raining, that mom whose husband is deployed, instead of you just getting out of your car and walking on in the church, you see them struggling with that stroller, you walk over there, you help them. That's just an example of owning it, owning it, okay? So we are expecting miracles. We're owning it. Number seven, this year we're going to make disciples this year. Um, Jim Wall, Dr. Jim Wall is working with me. Uh, We had a long meeting yesterday. We are going to develop a path, and it's going to begin this year to full discipleship. Here's our job as a church our job is to lead people to a fully devoted, to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Not just to get you in the door and pat you on the back and put another notch in our gun. You know, we got somebody else coming to church. We want you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give an account for that as a pastor of this church. So we're going to make some disciples, and we hope you guys will come and take advantage of those opportunities. So there's our vision review. Um, We're talking about prayer. We're in Luke 22. Luke 22 records that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane right before His arrest, right before his mock trial, and right before he was sentenced to death and crucified, just before his resurrection, uh, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane for the purpose of prayer. So let's go to the Bible, and let's read that story from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. Everybody's with me? Say amen. amen. All right. And he came out and proceeded as was his custom. To the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Notice what he told them to pray about. We'll talk about that more next week and the next week. Verse 41 And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he, Jesus, knelt down and began to pray. Simple question. If Jesus saw the need of prayer, what about you and I? Think we might need to pray if Jesus saw the need of prayer in his own life? And so verse 42. Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And I want you to notice here That this is the only sentence recorded in the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. However, we know that he prayed far more than this. Because we're going to read in just a minute that he prayed until his sweat became his great drops of blood. So we know that he prayed very intensely, very fervently, um, very intentionally, very strategically. Jesus prayed and it was an extended time of prayer. They were in that garden all night praying, Jesus was. And, but it records only this one sentence. Now, the reason I think this one sentence is the one the Holy Spirit decided to record in the Scripture is because I believe this one sentence is the heartbeat, the centerpiece of his whole prayer. Look what he said again. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Awesome statement. Worth a deep study. Verse 44, And being in agony, he was praying, how? Very fervently. And his sweat became as or like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Verse 45, When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them, I think this is so powerful, sleeping from sorrow, so discouraged. There was a darkness in the air. There was the darkness in the, in the, in the very environment, a spiritual darkness. They knew something was about to happen that was going to seem to be devastating to the kingdom of God. They didn't know all that it was. They just knew it was not good. And they were sleeping because they were so deeply discouraged. We've all been there, haven't we? when we didn't want to get up in the morning because of discouragement, because of sorrow. We've all been there when we wanted to just go to sleep and not think about what's going on in our lives. Verse 46, And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And again, we will talk more in depth about some of this next week and the next week. So last week, was our first sermon in the series, The Recipe for Prayer, and the first ingredient in the recipe that makes your prayers more powerful, the first ingredient in the recipe that brings life change. Listen, when you begin to pray strategically, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. When you begin to pray on purpose, when when you begin to pray with a plan, and this may shock you, but your, plan, your prayers may actually be shorter. Because a lot of times when you're praying just what comes to memory, you're repetitive, you're praying what you've heard somebody else pray, you find yourself, because you haven't been working on your prayer life, you just say the same sentences over and over again because your prayers aren't planned. So we're talking about planning our prayers and how when we plan them, it makes us more powerful in our prayers, and it also changes our lives forever. And Jesus is our example. The first ingredient was preparation. We talked about that last week, and I'm not going to preach on that again today. If you missed that message, as we told you in the video announcements today, go to bridgechurch.cc, and you can hear the message at your convenience. But today we want to talk about the second ingredient of a powerful prayer life, the second ingredient in the recipe. And it is a long word, and it's a word some of you may know, most of you may not know it. It is the word consternation. So from preparation to consternation. Now let me just um, define that word in the context of this sermon. The word consternation carries with it the idea of being troubled, being troubled in your heart, being troubled in your spirit. It carries with it the idea of being disquieted or disturbed. And so I want to tell you today that your prayer life is going to be great peace for you and it's going to bring great blessing into your life. But I also want to tell you, excuse me, I'm sorry. I also want to tell you that your prayer life is going to cause you to be troubled. And I'll explain that as we move along. The application for us is simply this. When you pray strategically, And what are we talking about? When we talk about praying strategically, what is it we're talking about using? What's the tool we're talking about? A prayer journal. We're going to write it down. We're going to write stuff down and we're going to pray intentionally. As a matter of fact, we're going to let the Holy Spirit tell us what to pray for. We're going to know from common sense. We're going to know from... From reading the Bible, we're going to know from just knowing what's going on in our life and what's going on in our world and in our community, we're going to know some things we need to pray about. But I want to tell you that God's going to put some things on your heart to pray about, and it's going to surprise you. It's going to surprise you, some of the things he puts on your heart to pray about. As a matter of fact, how many of you who are people of prayer, how many of you have ever had a name or a face or a person come up before you in your prayer life and you try to shake it off and you can't shake it off and it keeps coming up before you? How many of you had that happen? That means God is saying, I want you to pray for that person. And you might say, I don't even know them or what's going on in their life. It doesn't matter. Then that's what you pray. You say that to God. God, I don't know them or what's going on in their life. And God will go, thanks for telling me I didn't know that. Thank you. And God will go, I just want you to pray for them. I've had God give me an intense love for somebody I didn't know. I mean, to give me a powerful love that when I even thought about them, it brought tears to my eyes. And I really didn't even know them. I didn't know what was going on in their life. But that happens when you pray strategically. And the reason it happens is because when you pray strategically, when you pray using a prayer journal, hey, listen, I I want you to do a prayer journal, but if you just started writing down stuff, and we're going to talk today about how to organize your prayer journal, but I'm telling you, if you just made a prayer list, it would change your prayer life. It would make your prayer life more powerful. But we want you to go even further than that. Deeper intimacy with God, when you pray strategically, you're going to go deeper with God. When you go deeper with God, two distinctly different things are going to happen to you. Number one, we've already talked about it, there's going to be a power that comes with that. There's going to be some life change that comes with that. Let me just put it this way. When you get close to God, we talked about it last week, you're going to know a peace you've not known. You're going to know an assurance in your relationship with him you've not known. You're going to have a confidence in your walk with God you've not known. Listen, when you pray strategically, God's going to answer prayers and you're going to be blown away. You're going to look at it and go, wow. That's amazing. That's exactly what I prayed for. That's exactly what I was asking God to do. And God has done it. And you're going to be encouraged by that. And you're going to celebrate that. And you're going to be in your life group. Or, or you're going to have friends that, you are, that are Christians. And you're going to share with them. And you're all going to celebrate. And you're going to put it on Facebook. And people are going to come under there and go, man, that's awesome. And it's going to be good, good, good. It's going to be great. It's going to be encouraging to you. But I want to tell you something else. I've got to be very honest with you and tell you that, When you get close to God, you're going to start being burdened about the things he's burdened about. You're going to have some incredibly positive things happen in your life, but at the same time, you're going to become uncomfortable. You're going to become disquieted in your spirit. There's going to be a holy discomfort because you're drawn nearer to God. Let me unpack that a little further. Consistent, strategic prayer threatens the enemy. I mean, you know, when you're not praying, then the enemy can doze off on you and he's fine. Because you're not really a threat to him. Matter of fact, you have two enemies. Not just the enemy Satan and his cohorts and his demons and his devils and the angels that fell from heaven and became demon powers that fell with him when he fell from heaven. You got that to deal with when you start to pray. Because let me just tell you, when you start praying strategically and you get serious about your prayer life, you're poking the bear, baby. You're poking the bear. You got this bear this enemy that hates us, that wants to destroy us, well, as long as you're kind of neutral in your Christian life and you're kind of day-to-day and you're kind of you're with it and not with it and, and you're praying sometimes and when you do pray, it's the same prayer you prayed before because you haven't really developed your prayer life. I mean, you're no real threat to the enemy, so he kind of dozes off on you. But when you hear sermons like we're preaching and you get fired up and you get that journal out and you start working on that journal and you start praying that way, you're poking the bear. You say, well, gee whiz, I think I'll back off of that prayer journal then because I don't want really to be poking no bears. He's not the only bear you're poking. you got an enemy in you called your flesh. you got an enemy in you called your humanity. And your, your own humanity, apart from the enemy, apart from our spiritual enemy, Satan, there's an enemy in you that doesn't want to pray. There's an enemy in you that doesn't want to work on this journal. There's an enemy. You know how I know it's true? I know it's true because I'm a better Christian than all y'all, and I fight that battle. (laughs) So I know it's true. Not to mention my humility. Are y'all with me? How many of y'all know that's true? How many of you know, man, if I start praying victory, 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 and all of a sudden you start really, really praying, and it's battle, battle, battle. Because you poked the bear. Satan and his cohorts and your own human flesh. So you're going to battle those two enemies. Here's the the thing though, guys. When you start praying strategically, you get closer to God. (laughs) Excuse me. So you have power, strength, anointing, empowerment. And even though you've got Goliath battling you, You've got God on you, so you have the strength to fight these battles and be victorious. Who wants some of that action right there? Amen. I want some of that. Absolutely. Consistent, strategic prayer deepens our relationship with God, which causes us to have a heart like Jesus. When you get close to God, you start seeing stuff like Jesus sees it. You start feeling about things the way Jesus feels about things. So it's not just, oh man, I've been praying strategically, and God did this awesome miracle, and man, Pastor Farrell's so right, and I'm on cloud nine. You're going to have some of that. Hallelujah, you're going to have some of that. The Word of God promises, but it also promises that when you start praying strategically, you're going to get drawn nearer to God, and you're going to start loving what He loves and hating what He hates, because your heart's going to be more like His heart now because we love like Jesus and because we care like Jesus. And the reason we love like Jesus and care like Jesus is because we got drawn nearer to Jesus through our strategic praying. And because we love like he does and because we care like he does, when we're at the mall, we don't just see people anymore. We fill our eyes with tears. We feel our uh, feel our eyes fill up with tears because we don't see just people anymore at the mall. We see hard hearts. We see lost people. We see people and we think about where they will spend eternity if they leave this world without Jesus. All of a sudden, we start caring about that. All of a sudden, we start thinking about that kind of stuff. But again, along with that burden will come a nearness to God And a power from God that will cause you to press in for prayer, not only for the prayer list that you have for the things that you need and your family needs, but all of a sudden you care about other people and what they need and you're praying for them. And you're seeing life change in them. We are now, because we're nearer to God, more deeply concerned about the spiritual condition of our family. I'll tell you, I run into parents who care more about their children being successful in this world than they do about their children's spiritual success. And when you get near to God, you want your children to be successful in this world and you want them to be all they can be, but primarily now, you will want them to know Jesus because of your nearness to God. You'll care more about your friends. You'll care more about their spiritual condition. You'll care more about people you know and love. You'll care more about your own personal walk with God. When you get nearer to God, guess what? He's not only showing you people who need your prayers because they're not right with Him. He will show you where you're not right with Him. The nearer you are to Him, the more He will check you. The more He will be running that scan to make sure you're healthy physically, spiritually. And when He sees that you're not It'll show up in that scan because you're so near. Does that make sense? You're so near to God, you realize, ah, that attitude will mess me up. Those kind of thoughts will mess me up. That kind of action will mess me up. That old habit will mess me up. Hanging around with that person who I've let influence me for bad in the past will mess me up. He will check you. Because you've been praying strategically and you're drawn nearer to Him. So now His Holy Spirit is there to speak to you and guide you. You'll become more concerned about your church. You'll become more concerned about the people who live in your neighborhood around you. You'll care. When you walk out to get in your car and you look around your neighborhood, you won't just see people who live around you and you know go, there's Bob and there's Ann and there's Tom. But you'll ask yourself, I wonder where they are with God. I wonder what their relationship is with Jesus. And all of a sudden you'll be in your prayer journal and God will remind you to write them down. And suddenly you are not just waving at your neighbor, but in your private time you are on your knees for them that they would come to know Jesus. And maybe they already do, but you never knew. And maybe because of your prayers that prayer rises up somehow and you connect with them and find out, hey, they're believers and we're believers and suddenly there you have that body of believers functioning in your community and you're all praying together. This is how God works. You'll become more concerned about the world when you pray strategically. You know know what one of the greatest signs of maturity for a Christian is? One of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity for a Christian is when you start caring about people and situations outside your world. I don't know many people who won't go, oh, man, pray for my grandma and pray for my Aunt Lucille, and and that's all great, and we need to pray all that, and I've got that in my prayer journal. But I'll tell you, when you really mature, it's when you begin to pray for people you really don't know that aren't in your world. That even if they got healed, even if they got saved, even if their marriage was saved, it really wouldn't impact you personally that much because you're never with them. You're not close to them, but you're burdened for them. And now all of a sudden you find yourself praying outside your community. And you're suddenly praying for our state and you're praying for our nation and you're praying for the world. These are signs of maturity in your prayer life when we become serious about prayer. When we become disciplined and when we become intentional with our prayer life, we experience a holy uneasiness, a consternation, an agitation, a discomfort deep within us. And you know why? Because here's what we've been praying. We've been praying, God, I want your will to be done on earth. Everybody finish this. As it is in heaven. That's what you've started praying. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you begin to pray that way, you're going to poke the bear. And I just want you to be ready for that. When we pray deliberate, strategic prayers that God's will be done, the enemy will rise up and war against us. The spiritual enemy, Satan, and your internal enemy, your flesh. Don't misunderstand me. Prayer is a wonderful blessing. It is a great privilege and it will have an entirely positive impact on your life. But strategic prayer is a declaration of war. I'm telling you, when, <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do your journal. But if you went into Walmart or Target or somewhere this week and you bought a composition book and said, I'm going to get started on this, you just declared war on the enemy. And when you declare war, you have poked him. You have woke him up because he doesn't want you to pray this way. He doesn't want you to seek God's will for this world. And the result of it is a righteous uneasiness Within our hearts. You know, the Bible, just to illustrate this, just to show this is like Jesus, you know, Jesus is our example in everything, and to show it's like Jesus, in Isaiah, which is the Old Testament, in Isaiah, Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus coming. He was prophesying about Jesus coming in the New Testament. He was prophesying about the Messiah who would come to the Jews. And he said this of Jesus. He said, he will be a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows. Let me just give you some examples. In Mark 3, 5, when Jesus was on the earth, the Bible says he was deeply grieved over the hard heart Of God's chosen people, the Jews. This is that consternation I'm talking about. Yes, Jesus was one who had come to bring victory. Jesus was one who had come to do the work that needed to be done to defeat Satan. Yes, Jesus rising from the dead was the greatest victory and the greatest celebration ever in history. But I want you to know why he was on this earth because of his intimacy with the Father and because of who he was. There was a holy consternation. There was a holy discomfort. He was a man of sorrows. Why was he a man of sorrows? Let's look at it again. Mark seven thirty four says, over the suffering of one man that Jesus grieved. In Mark eight twelve, it says that he had the same response at the sorrow of the superficiality of Israel's leaders of that day. How much do you think he looks down on our leaders today when they Talk about spiritual things, and they talk about God things, and He knows they're not living. But it's a superficial thing. You know what we've seen it in this whole thing of running for president. Um, and I know you've probably got your favorites, and I've got the ones who I'm praying you for. You know, I want God's will to be done. But it's amazing to me how people will switch and flip just to get the vote. And when Jesus looks down, and when Jesus was looking at the situation here in Israel, he was looking at their leaders, and he looked at their superficiality and how they really stood for nothing. And it broke his heart. He didn't get mad. He wept. He cried. John eleven thirty five 35 says that he stood at the grave of Lazarus and wept because of his own grief. He loved Lazarus. The Bible says it. Matter of fact, there's one verse in the Bible where it says, Jesus loved Lazarus. And that's all that verse says. It says he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And when Lazarus died and Jesus came to the tomb, he cried. But he also cried that day, not just because Lazarus was dead, because he knew Lazarus would be living in just a little while because he was going to raise him from the dead. Who remembers that story? But Jesus was weeping that day because there was so much unbelief around him. So much unbelief. Now here's what I'm saying to you. When you get strategic in your prayer and you're using your prayer journal, you're going to get drawn nearer to Jesus. And when you look out on the world and you look out in the community, you're going to see things that break your heart that before you got close to Jesus, they didn't break your heart. But now that you're nearer to Jesus, you feel what Jesus felt. The Bible says in, in Luke 19, 41, he saw Jerusalem and what? wept over it. Matter of fact, the shortest verse in the Bible is what? Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible is about what we're preaching about today. That Jesus was a man of sorrows because of his intimacy with his Father, because of his intimacy with the Holy Spirit, because of who he was, the God-man. He saw things other people didn't see. And yes, there were times of rejoicing, but there were times of brokenheartedness. And I'm here, I'm here really today to warn you. This is a warning. I don't want you to think that when you start using this prayer journal that everything's going to uh, turn to uh, tiptoe through the tulips. How many of y'all remember that guy? You remember the guy with the ukulele? Whatever. What's his name? Tiny Tim? Who has no idea who I'm talking about? These are young people. They don't know who I'm talking about. I remember, how many of you remember the country song, I Never Promised You? Come on. <laughs> hey, that's God talking right there to you. God saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you this rich, deep relationship with me. When you start praying strategically, but i tell you what else I'm going to do. The stuff that made me cry is going to make you cry. And the stuff that made me rejoice is going to make you rejoice. That's God's promise to us. Let's go to Hebrews 5, 7. And just look at one more verse there and then then we'll close. Hebrews 5, 7. This is the Amplified Bible. If you don't have the Amplified Bible, it's awesome. It's a great Bible. Who knows the Amplified Bible? Who knows it? Good Bible. Awesome, awesome. Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his earthly life. So you know what? I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. The Bible doesn't say, but it looks like it was Paul. When you compare the writing of Hebrews to the other books Paul wrote, it kind of looks like the same way Paul talks. So Most scholars believe that it was Paul. I just kind of threw myself in there with scholars. Did y'all notice that? (laughs) Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his earthly life. Where's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He is in the days of his what? Earthly life. I think this verse is talking about Gethsemane. I believe this verse is talking about Gethsemane. Look what it says. In the days of his earthly life, Jesus offered up both specific petitions. What's another word for petition? Prayer, exactly. It's a kind of prayer, but it's prayer. Offered up both specific petitions and urgent supplications. What's another word for supplications? Prayer. It's a certain kind of prayer, but it's it's prayer. In the days of his earthly life, Jesus offered up both specific, specific petitions and urgent supplications for that which he needed. And fervent everybody say the yellow part. And fervent and who who? Jesus. Fervent crying and tears when he was doing what? When he was Praying to the one who was the one Jesus prayed to, his what, his father. He offered up fervent crying and tears to the one who was always able to save him from the cross. Now, when I was a young boy, full head of hair, 32 inch waistline, (laughs) back in BC, before carpet. We used to sing a song in the old church and with the line in that song was, he could have called, how many of y'all remember got some old people here today? Hallelujah. He could have called 10,000 angels. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't, did he? Because see, the father was always able to save him from death. And he was heard, Jesus was heard by his what? By his father, Because of his reverent submission toward his father. Now the third part of this sermon is next week. And it's the word submission. Wonder if I'll bring this verse back next week. Yes, I will. His sinlessness and his unfailing determination to do the father's will. So the Bible tells us there that Jesus was a man of sorrows. Why? Why was he described as a man of sorrows? Here's why. And here's what I'm saying to you today. Here's what I want you to get. Because sin broke his heart. Unbelief broke his heart. Rejection broke his heart. Ignorance broke his heart. Suffering because of sin broke his heart. Can I tell you something? Jesus Jesus weeps over all suffering. Sometimes I suffer and it's my fault. Sometimes I suffer and it's just life. Both times. Sometimes I suffer, not enough, but sometimes I suffer because of persecution. Here's the deal. Jesus weeps anytime you suffer. You might be sitting here today and you're suffering because you've done something stupid. Don't point. But can I tell you, Jesus is not up in heaven with his arms crossed going, told you, told you, told you, told you. You're sitting here weeping today because you did something dumb. You did something in your own will, your own flesh, and you're paying for it. Can I tell you, Jesus is weeping with you today. (laughs) Jesus takes no joy in your pain. No joy in your suffering. He is always caring and loving when you suffer. Jesus wept because of death. All of this gave Jesus grief upon grief and sorrow upon sorrow. And here's my warning to you today. When you use that prayer journal, and because you use it, you get close to Jesus... There's going to be some hallelujah times more than you've ever had in your life because you are being intentional about your spiritual life. So there's going to be a ton of victories to celebrate, but you got to know, man, you're going to get his heart. And when you get his heart, because you're near him now, there's going to be some tearful times, some painful times. So let's switch gears. You ready to switch gears? Let me just say this to give you hope. In closing, let me tell you, let's talk about organizing our prayer journal. So I'm not gonna tell I'm not gonna ask who's been working on their prayer journal. We're just not gonna do that yet. But I hope you will. And, and look, man, i got to tell you, I'd bring my prayer journal to church with me if I could. You know? Mine's on my computer. But have a written form. Have some kind of written form if you're going to keep it on your computer so you can write things down and then come back to your computer and put it on there because you don't always have it with you, but you can always have a little piece of paper and a pen with you. And I don't know whether y'all have heard it or not, but I heard a guy say one time that the weakest ink is better than the strongest memory. Have y'all heard a guy say that? Amen. The reason I said it is because I've got it written down right here. Four basic categories. Now, you, look, everybody's journal is going to look different. Matter of fact, I've seen some of your writing, and you're going to write yours in hieroglyphics. We already know that. You're not even going to need to put a, a, a rubber band around yours or one of those uh, with a little lock on it, because nobody can read it but you and Jesus. So everybody's prayer journal is going to look different. Your prayer journal is not going to look mine, but I'm, look like mine. But I'm going to ask you to include four categories. Now, underneath those categories, do anything you want to, whatever God puts on your heart. Worship, personal, the bridge, or if you don't go to church here, you go to church somewhere else, but you're visiting with us today, put your church there. Put the name of your church there. And then underneath that, what? The kingdom. So let's talk about those four things. Um, Let's talk about worship. Begin your prayers with worship. Don't begin your prayers with gimme, 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 gimme. I need this, I need this, I need this. I'm so glad I got to pray today because, boy, I got a long list. Jesus, brace yourself. Get ready. I I want you to take a deep breath, and I want you to worship him. If you will study the great prayers of the Bible, you will find that one of the patterns is they always open with worship. They always open with worship. Even Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 where he is surrounded by the enemy and they're about to come in and destroy him, he calls the people together for prayer and fasting because he knows he does not have an army to defeat this enemy. And he's surrounded. He's outnumbered probably 1,000 to 1. But in that prayer, as desperate as they are, he spends a major part at the beginning praising him. And when you praise God, there's really two basic parts of worship. Praise for who he is. Thanksgiving for what he's done. That's why Thanksgiving is way easier for us. Because we got some stuff, and we want to thank him for the stuff he gave us. But praise doesn't have anything to do with anything you got. Praise is just saying, I love you because you're my God. You're my king. You're my master. I submit to you. You say, Pastor, I want to learn to praise, but I don't know how. I'm about to tell you how to learn how to praise. Go to the book of Psalms. Go to the back of the book, get Psalm 150, and there's some other psalms there, other chapters, and put those in your notes and read those. Because here's what will happen. When you get to Psalm 150 and you begin to read that to God and read it out loud, let's say you're going to have your prayer time, you get Psalm 150 out and you're going, God, I'm kind of new at this. You know, I always was brought up in church that prayer was gimme, gimme, gimme. But Pastor Farrell says, I can't do that. (laughs) I want to do what's right. And he's always right. Just, you know, just. (laughs) And then say, and then say, Lord, I'm learning how to praise you. So I'm going to read Psalm 150 and just read it. And then the next time you pray, you read a different one. And you read a different one of praise. And after a while, your vocabulary will develop as a praiser. And you'll begin to praise out of your own mind and out of your own thoughts. Does that make sense? And then Thanksgiving, that's pretty easy because we just look at all he's done for us and we start thanking him. And I could go so deep into this, but, but this is that part of your uh, prayer journal where you've got those answered prayers. See, when you get to Thanksgiving, just... Turn over in your journal to answered prayers and go through those. And God, I remember I was asking you for this, and then you did this. Thank you, God. Thank you. So the first part's worship. The second part is personal. Now, personal is about you and your world. Prayer about you, your world, your family, your situation, everything that connects to you, you pray for, let me just give you some things. And look, you're not going to be able to write these down. So what I would do is get the notes. Get the notes. Use the email, info at bridgechurch.cc. Send us a, uh, an email saying you want these notes. And, and you'll get all these notes. So, so just listen. So you pray for spiritual health. God, where am I spiritually? I want to be where I'm supposed to be. Now, when you pray that, if there's sin in you, he'll show it to you. And when you humble yourself and own that sin, then you'll repent of that sin, and that thing will be gone out of your life, and you've got that connection with God that you need. But that's got to be a part of your prayer, personal prayer time, is God, where am I? Where am I spiritually? God, I want your will done in my life. God, I need wisdom. Anybody need wisdom? How about discernment? You know what discernment is? That's God giving you the ability to not see things just on the surface, but see behind the surface. You think we need that these days? So you're gonna pray for discernment. You're gonna pray for physical health. God, heal me, and Father, protect my body, and God, I want, I want health. Now, when we pray for healing, and when we pray for health, there has to be a reason we want health, and there has to be a reason we want him to heal us, and that is this. God, heal me so I can do things for your glory. And then he talks about, or then you can talk about family members, issues within your family. Primarily the salvation of your family. Pray for your finances. If you're in the stock market, you've probably already been praying about that. Pray for your friends, conflicts that are going on in your life, worries. And then you want to pray for miracles. What are some miracles you want in your personal life? And you write that down under personal. And then we go to the bridge. And when we pray for the bridge, we remember two things. Number one, the bridge is not your church. It's not my church. It's his church. Can I tell you if the Lord doesn't come soon, other people will sit in these chairs and other people will stand up here. Do you all know that's true? So it's not ours. It's his. The other thing when you pray for the bridge is you remember this. We are not a club for Christians. We are a hospital for broken people. Matter of fact, can we just all say that together? We are not a club for Christians. We are a hospital for broken people. i got about a third of you on that. We are not a club for Christians. We are a hospital for broken people. So when you pray from that mindset of the church in minus God's, and the church is not a club for Christians, it's a hospital for broken people, then that will affect how you pray for the bridge. Let me just throw some things out there quick. That truth will always be valued and declared in this house. That God will always be glorified in everything we do and in everything we say. Pray for the leaders of this church. Pray for God to constantly provide new godly leadership. We're going to always need it. Pray for guidance. Pray for wisdom. Pray for courage. Pastor Farrell is in the last years of his ministry here at the bridge. We all know that. He said that. You know that. And so we're praying for the next guy. God, who's the next Who's the next person? Who's the next pastor? Your will be done. Are y'all praying about that? Pray about that. I'm praying about it. The culture of generosity in your life and in the church, culture of transparency. That we are not a church that wears masks. We don't wear masks in this church, do we? We're transparent. I'm going to get up here. My staff's going to get up here. We're going to tell you where we struggle. We're going to tell you where we war. You know what I've been through in my family? Man, my life's an open book. Transparency. Culture of service that I'm not here to get. I'm here to be a blessing. And then what miracles do you want for the bridge? And then finally... The kingdom, the kingdom of God. If you want want God to move in your life, you want God to move in this church, you want God to move in our community, then you're going to get a world vision and you're going to begin to pray for the world. When was the last time you prayed for Israel? When is the last time you prayed for the Middle East? You say, I want peace, Pastor, peace, peace. You know what? If you want peace in the Middle East, you know what you need to pray? Come, Lord Jesus. Because, and I'm not trying to be a weirdo here and I'm not trying to freak you out and scare you to death, but peace is not coming to this world until the Prince of Peace comes to this world. You say, I know, but pastor, there are people who don't know Jesus and I'm praying for them to be saved. I understand that, I understand that. But at the same time, we're praying for people to be saved. We, have, we are standing on our tiptoes looking for the coming of our Savior, our Redeemer. Pray for the world. Pray for the advancement of the gospel in the Muslim areas of this world. You know, it just joys my heart. And I know there's a bunch of political stuff behind all this. But thank God, Pastor, is it Saeed? Is that his name? Praise God he's home with his family. And those, other, those others too, the journalist and the student. And uh, the others who came. And I've been praying for that. And, hey, man, God answered that. Hallelujah. I I can't imagine what it's going to be like when he is reunited back in his home with his family. But pray for the world. Pray for our leaders. Pray for the leaders of other countries. Hey, get a globe. (laughs) Buy a globe. You say, I don't know who to pray for. Just spin it. Some of y'all have been to Vegas. Spin that, baby. <laughs> and pray, sir, pray for Kazarakistan. Pray for it. I, I don't know if that's a country, but <laughs> pray for the world. Ask God to give you a worldview. Not just your little world. That's selfish. A A worldview.